Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, it's a special day for me. Today is uh, my, my mother's 20th yard site. Um, she, she left the world. We, we, we use the word nifter. Nifter actually means to, to, to leave, to exit, but it's, uh, it doesn't mean to die. And I, I'm, I'm always sort of intrigued by that, that sort of like the, the go-to Jewish wor- word for, um, uh, for quote-unquote death is, is not death, because um, we don't really believe in death, as, as strange as that sounds. There's life inside the body, and then there's life outside of the body. But the constant is actually life. So, so when, one, when, when one leaves their body, one just continues to live just in, a, in, another, in another form. So... So, uh, and, and also, it's, it's also very important that, um, you know, we, we shouldn't think that one disappears into the oneness of God. I mean, that's a very sort of poetic, spiritual thought, but, but our, our notion is actually far more co- concrete than that, which is that the soul maintains its, its integrity and its I- I- identity and its, even its individuality, even in, in soul form amidst the, the light of God. And... Uh, I once heard Rebetzin Heller say something that uh, I always remember, which is that someone asked her, well, how would you recognize different souls then in, in, the, in, in the next world? And, and she said that one will have all of their mitzvahs imprinted on them. So I, I thought to myself, like, I'll, I'll travel and I'll see a soul that says, among other, many other things, you know, I, I changed David Sachs's diapers, and I, I, I went, Mom! You know, so, you know, so, um, so we, we, remain, we remain us even when we leave our body, but it's a much more exalted form of, 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 of us. And, and so, again, just the idea that there's, um, well, you, you shouldn't think that, well, maybe one leaves their body, and what maybe there is continued life, but in terms of my identity of myself, that doesn't exist anymore. So there is an existential death, if you will. But we, we don't even say that. We don't even say that. So, 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 um, so, so, so just in thinking of my mom, I just want to say just uh, one, one or two quick things about her, and then we'll, we'll learn some more, um, which is, you know, I, there was one thing in particular that, that I just want to mention, and it's, I, I think it's really remarkable, and it, it may not sound remarkable, but maybe when I explain it a little bit better, it will, it will sound more impressive, uh, which is that every once in a while I'd, I'd, I'd come to the house and she'd be baking a chocolate cake, and, you know, with chocolate frosting and everything like that, and... And I'd say, you know, who, you know, because it wasn't anyone's birthday, there was no holiday happening. So I'd say, who, who's the cake for? And she said, uh, she would say, oh, I'm bringing it over to the fire department to show uh, my appreciation. Now, the reason why that's remarkable, at least in, in my opinion, is because we did not grow up in Mayberry. You know what I mean? It's like, we grew up on 79th Street and Broadway where you didn't know your neighbor's name, the person whose door was next to you. So the idea that you're baking a cake for a fire station three blocks away is like saying, I am baking this cake for the people of France, you know, to show my appreciation for, you know, their contributions to... Western civilization. I mean, it's it's it's. But but 
And there were, it's not like there were fires in the neighborhood all the time that you saw them putting out or anything like that. So in other words, in other words, but it was very real to her, this idea of, I would say, community and, 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 and thanks and appreciating. And, and that, that made a big impression on me. And, and one thing that I've come to realize is, as I've learned Torah, more Torah over the years is that, is that if you want to realize yourself, if you want to be the full best version of yourself, it, part of that happens just between your ears, you know? But, but part of that also happens by being an active member of the community. In other words, you, 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 you can't be the full realization of you unless you have a relationship with the community itself. Because there is an aspect of you which is embodied in the community as well. And, um, and so, so everyone should just take that to heart. Everyone should take that to heart. As, as I like to say, you know, Torah is a team sport. It, it really is. Um, uh, one could keep the mitzvahs on their own, you know, on a mountaintop or in a very secluded place, but it's not the, it's not the, the actual vision of Torah. The actual vision of Torah is to be part of a Jewish community. And, and, and that, that there, there's a synergetic um, thing that happens with your soul, that even when you're then apart from the community, you're still growing even in your um, perhaps isolated state. Okay, so, so with that in mind, I want to transition and, and tell you something. I, I actually heard it from my, my cousin who... Who, who learned it from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, and I, I just, this is, this is just like, just listen to the methodology of this thought, okay? It's, it's just so nice. It's like, it's like you're in, it's like you're driving, you know, 70 miles an hour during, during, uh, what do they call that? What's the morning? Rush hour. Rush hour, you don't get to go 70 miles an hour on a really nice paved road by the way, everyone should have a lot of air in their tires. That's something that it took me 22 years to figure out actually affects your ride. You know what I mean? You don't have to have a fancy car, but if you have air in your tires, you will have a substantially smoother ride. A lot of people don't know that. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> um, so just, again, just with that sort of imagery that you're just like gliding and just going, just listen to the me- methodology of this Torah thought. It's just so smooth, you know? So basically, Rabbi Sachs noticed something, um, which is great, which is this past, this past week in Parshas Bahar, we, we, we were talking about the, the Yovel, translated in English as the Jubilee year. That's the, the 50th year, and you have to count to that year because all the slaves go free, and all of the land reverts back to... Um, the original owners. There's a there's a lot going on there. You know, you have you have socialism, you have capitalism, you have communism, and then you have Torah economics, which is utopian economics, which is this idea that you get your ancestral land back, even if you had to sell it because you were broke, you get it back. Like there's this heavenly reset button where you get another chance, like economically. It's an amazing thing. There's no other system that's ever been like this. Um, so, so, but you have to count the years to get to the 
that 50th year when that happens. Okay. Now, meanwhile, that Parsha always happens every single year while we're doing another form of counting. We're counting the days toward receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai. So it's interesting that the Torah is and the calendar are talking about two types of counting that are going on at the same time, counting days and counting years. So Rabbi Sachs noticed that the language that the Torah uses is actually different in describing those two things. By counting years, by rather, by counting days, it uses the word lechem, which is the plural, you should count, meaning all of you should count, meaning that this is incumbent on all of Israel to count the days leading up to the receiving of the Torah, right? But by counting the years, it actually uses the, the singular use of the word you. When it says you should count the years, it's lecha, that's in the singular, and it's referring to the Beis Din. The Beis Din is in charge of counting the years. All of us are in charge of counting the days. Now listen to what he derives from that. He says that this is the vision of leadership. That, that the Beis Din, which are the leaders of the Jewish people, right? They have to be mindful of the years ahead and how certain decisions that we make in our lifetime today are affecting us years from now. Years from now. And that if a person wants to have... And by the way, this is not... an ex- So that's the end of that thought. That's a, that's a, that's a great thought, you know? So, but, but, but one shouldn't say, one shouldn't learn from this, that, well, I'm not on the base day, so I'm on the day, uh, level of counting days. So I'll just count days, and I'll leave the, the visionary stuff, the counting of the years, to, to other people. No, 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 that's not what we learn from this thought. We also have to have the ability to look ahead, years ahead. Now, I'll tell you a joke. Uh, I think it was written while, while I was writing on The Simpsons, and I, I always thought that this was a good joke. Um, I'm, I'm not telling you to make you laugh, I'm just because there's a, there's a nice lesson in it, which is Homer Simpson, who is not, not, not the, the, the brightest guy in the world. He was epically stupid, okay? So... So he sees, he sees, everyone knows Halloween is on the last day of October, October 31st, right? So he sees that pumpkin futures are going up in price in October every single day, right? Because it's all leading up to the last day, Halloween, where, where people want the most pumpkins to celebrate Halloween, right? So, you know, he's seeing the, wow, the price of Pumpkins are going up. This is a, a great investment. This is a great investment. So he puts all of his money in pumpkins on Halloween, the 31st, which is the top of the market. And of course, November 1st, nobody wants pumpkins. Like everything crashes. So this is like great, horrible, short-term thinking. <laughs> in other words, you might say, oh, listen, I'm also a visionary. I'm also thinking of the years and everything is going great right now. But is everyone, everything going great right now on the Homer Simpson's pumpkin level? Because the person really isn't thinking five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, right? Or is it just going well because I'm swept up right now and just things are in a good place and I'm just, I'm going with the positive energy and yeah, you know? It's like, is it that? Because that's very dangerous thinking. That's very dangerous life management, right? We have to think on the, on, on, on the years level as well. 
And then all of us should ask ourselves, I was doing this exercise myself and I, I reached a surprising conclusion, which is, you know, what's going to be 10 years from now? What's going to be 15 years from now? And to actually think concretely about that. You know? And, and you know, what... Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and, because look, you know, there, there's an expression that we have, which is, um, I painted myself into a corner. Like, if you think about it, it's actually a, a, a very interesting idea. So, imagine the door is on the far side of your thought, and you start painting where the door is. That's the only way out of this room. That's where the door is. You start painting the floor over there, and you're painting, and it's going really nice. You're getting a really nice kind of, you know, the brush strokes are good. It's looking really smooth. And then you paint, you paint, you paint. Then you get all the way into the corner, and then you're like, how am I going to get out of this room? How am I going to get out of this room? I can't get out of this room without making a complete mess of everything. Right? That's called, that's where that phrase comes. It's actually a really, visually speaking, it's actually a great phrase. Painting yourself into the corner. We, and, and again, that's another version of everything's going great, everything's going great, right? You know, there's a, there's a, a joke that I heard one time, again, not, not to beat a dead horse here, but it just illustrates the point in another way, which is that someone falls off the Empire State Building, and they're falling and they're falling, and someone sticks their head out and says to the falling person on the 70th floor, how are things? And he says, so far, so good. <laughs> so so we, want, we want not that. We want not that. Okay? Um, if you want to think of successful long-range thinking, let's give an example of successful long-range thinking. Well, for sure, successful long-range thinking would be Listen, here's a, I'm going to use fancy words, but it's actually a very simple thought. If you, if you take something infinite and put it next to something finite, no matter how big the finite thing looks to you, it's tiny compared to the infinite thing. Right? So I'll just say that one more time. If you take something finite, limited, that means it's got borders around it, whatever that is, period of time, a period of space, an amount of something. If you, if you have something finite and you put it next to something infinite, something without any boundaries whatsoever, it doesn't matter how big the finite thing is. Compared to the infinite thing, it's tiny. Even if it looks giant. Even if it looks like 120 years. Wow, I made it. Everyone always says, I bless you, you should live to 120. It's my 120th birthday. <laughs> like, but compared to the eternal life outside the body, even 120 years is that. Even 120 years is nothing. Right? So if we believe at all in this concept of the eternality of the soul, and why not, by the way? Why, why wouldn't we believe that? You know, because what is motivating, you know, as, as, as Rabbi Freeman might say, this, this meat puppet, right? What, what, is, what, is, what, is, what is activating this suit of hamburger meat, right? If not a soul, right? Let's, 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 let's not fall in love with the wrong part of ourselves, right? Meanwhile, 
have to give covet to the body too, because Judaism loves the body as well. And really, the idea is that the body and the soul should be best friends. That, that's what we want. We want that harmony. We're not, we're not you know, rolling around in, in, in you know, what, what, whatever, like, you know, ice and snow and things like that. And, you know, this, this, this idea of humiliating the flesh. That used to be, like, things that people would say to each other, by the way. That was, like, normal, like... Hey, listen, can you come over to my house? Maybe we can play some cards. Oh, you know what? I'm going to be humiliating my flesh around that time. How about later on? <laughs> All right. So, like, around dinner time? Yeah, I'll be done humiliating my flesh by then. I should be. You know. So, <laughs> but that was a real thing. That was a real thing. You know, people were like, you know, my body made me do this and I have to subject my body to all sorts of essentially torture so that I realize not to listen to my body. That's not our thing, at least anymore. That's not our thing. That's not what we call holiness or piety at this point anymore. We say, no, 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 the body and the soul have to work together. God made them both. God, you want to make it so that your, your, your flesh is holy too. Why not? It's also part of God. Uh, a creation of God is what I mean. God doesn't have a body, obviously. Um, so, so in terms of long-range thinking, successful long-range thinking, I think that, um, I think that anyone who, who, who doesn't take seriously the idea that they're going to be around, that their soul is going to be around forever, is, is, is actually not thinking clearly. And, and I would even say, even though this sounds on the, on the face of it a, a mystical thought, I would even say is not thinking rationally if they're, if they're not providing for their, their needs going forward in, in, in the most serious way. Um, you know, I think with that in mind, I think that atheists are hilarious. And I'll tell you why. Because, um, you see, everyone believes, everyone in the world believes you either believe that there's a God or you believe that there's not a God. You either believe that actually God cares. Like God, like if you look at if you look at the world, it's so precise. Like from the orbits of planets and the, the arrangements of galaxies to the subatomic level to the chromosomal, you know, composition of DNA to the ingredients that make up air that we breathe that sustain us to how far exactly the sun is from the earth. If it were a little bit closer, everything would burn up. If it were a little bit further, everything would freeze. Everything is so exact. How could it be that God doesn't have very particularistic expectations of us? How could it be? We just have free choice, so we have the ability to delude ourselves. But how could it be when you actually, with intelligence, look at the entire universe and how it's formed and structured, and then reach the conclusion that God doesn't care. All you see around you is evidence of how much God cares. And you're like, oh, but no, not me, I am different. Oh, yeah, wow. I'm so glad I know you. I found the one guy who's different in the whole history of the world. But it's, that's self-delusion. That's self-delusion. 
And, and, and by the way, that's where even more reward comes to a person because because God gives us the ability to delude ourselves, he then rewards us for not deluding ourselves. That's huge. That's huge. But this is all about free choice. Remember, everything is built on free choice. The entire world, the entire universe is built on free choice. It's not just a casual thing like there are lemons and there's footballs and erasers and, you know, Cleveland and free choice. It's not one thing on a list of things that there are. Everything around is built on free choice. Remember, it says God looked into the Torah and made the world. That the Torah itself is a blueprint of reality. The very first letter of the Torah, the base of Breshis, the base of beginnings, right? Base means two. That means free choice, because you can either do this or you can do that. In other words, God's introduction to the reality of this world is free choice. That's what it is. It's not just another thing that exists in the world. Okay, so, so let me give you another example of long-range thinking. Today is, in addition, I, I mentioned that it's... Um, it's my mother's yard site. It's her 20th yard site. It's also Mother's Day. I, I don't remember the two of those things happening together before. Um, but maybe, you know, if I just step out of my own life for a moment and just, just you know, plug into wherever, where the rest of the world is at, it's also Yom Yerushalayim, right? So that's, that's what this day is much, much, much better known as. <laughs> Um, to say the least. So, so today is the day that, that the Jewish people were able to take the, the Kotel back and Har Habayat, where the, where the Beis HaMikdash will be rebuilt. And so this is, this, is an, this is an incredible day. It's an amazing day. It's a totally historic day. A lot of people think that, you know, we have Yom Hatzma'ut, which is Independence Day when Israel became a nation, but, you know, at least in religious Zionist circles, Yom Yerushalayim is considered way bigger than, than Yom Hatzma'ut, because Yom Hatzma'ut, as great a day as that is, and as miraculous as it is, not to underplay it, is the, the formation of the secular state of Israel. Whereas Yom Yerushalayim is the reacquisition of the Jewish people of the, of the center of the universe, of, of the location of the Beis HaMikdash. This is, the, you almost can't even compare them, actually. Um, what's interesting is on the sphere level, Yom Yerushalayim is Chesed Sheva Malchus, which is, which is really interesting because they're, 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 it's the top and the bottom. Chesed is the top of the seven spheres, and Malchus is the bottom. So this is, Malchus stands for this dimension. So Chesed is like this highest attribute. So it's Chesed coming down to this dimension. When Chesed came down to this dimension is the day that the Jewish people were returned to the Beis Hamikdash, right? That's that's so on a on a mystical level you see it so clearly. It's so it's so obvious. Um, but I want to mention this as an example of successful long-range thinking, because how did we reacquire? Um, you know, I say reacquire. It reminds me of a, a story, Reb Shlomo. Um, would go all over to, to get back lost Jews, lost Jewish souls. Um, and he would play at ashrams, right? And because ashrams, at least in that day, had a lot of um, Jews there. 
So, so, and, and this is also a classic example of how Reb Shlomo was, was very much misunderstood by a lot of the sort of um, establishment. They, they would see or hear that he would go to an ashram and they would go, Ay, he's, you know, he's completely lost it, he's been abandoned Judaism. They didn't understand that really at the price of his own soul, he was going into these places in order to save Jewish people. So, um, and I've heard from other people that, you know, sometimes he would bring some musicians and sometimes he would say to, to certain people, no, this is not for you. you know, in other words, you, you're not in a place where you can go into that place. So he, he had a lot of, there is a lot of thought into everything he was doing. So anyway, he would go to this, this the, the story goes, he went to this particular ashram and this Swami there sort of was watching Reb Shlomo what he was doing, and he said to Rip Shlomo, oh, 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 I know what you're doing. You're trying to steal my followers. And he said, no, brother, I'm just borrowing them back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, when we say that, when, <laughs> when we say that the Jewish people conquered <laughs> The, 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 on, on Yom Yerushalayim, the base of Migdash, it's a little, we, we were just borrowing it back. You understand? Um, so, but how is it that we even thought or even prioritized to do such a thing? Right? And the answer is because we did long-range thinking. We, we, we never let go of it. We never let go of it. Now, let me tell you something in Jewish law, something very, very interesting, which is that, um, do you know if, uh, if you drop something, let's say I have, uh, I don't know, something valuable to me. You know, everyone loves their cell phone. Let's say I leave my cell phone uh, in a restaurant, okay? So my hope, my great hope is that uh, I'm going to go back to the restaurant and my cell phone is still going to be there. In other words, in my heart, and listen very carefully because this is very deep, in my heart, I have not relinquished control of that cell phone. I have not uh, given up, given up, like we say never give up, right? I have not given up on finding it and having it returned to me. So listen to this, as long as a person, if a person loses something, as long as they don't give up on it, it remains theirs halakhically. You see? So, so if, if someone were to just take it and not try to return it, if they find it and they, 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 they look for the owner and everything like that and they, they can't find it, okay, then, then there are different rules that apply to a situation like that, right? But if they just take it and go, mine, right, yoink, right, and stick it in their pocket, then that's that would be theft, because even though it seemed to be ownerless, since the owner never gave up on reacquiring it, it still belongs to the owner. By the way, interestingly, just as long as we're talking halacha, that's why if you were to say drop a $5 bill in the New York subway station, anyone can, I mean, it would be very nice to try to find the owner, especially if you saw it fall out of a person's pocket, then you, you, you absolutely should do that. But the, the idea is it's considered hefker, it's considered ownerless, because the owner 
doesn't expect it still to be there. So in other words, it's the it's normal human thinking that if you've dropped some money someplace, unless it's a very large sum or something like that, you think, oh, I'm never going to get it back, right? But as long as you think this is mine and I'm going to hold on to it, it's yours. Now, why is that so important? Because we never gave up on Yerushalayim. We never gave up on it. It stayed ours. And, and I'll tell you something else. We've never given up on Mashiach. We've never given up on the fact that we know, we know that just like some of the negative things of the Torah have been fulfilled, so how much more so does that mean that the positive things are going to be fulfilled? Um, you know, I've been talking about my, my mom, but let me just say on that, on that point something about my dad. My dad was almost compulsive about saying to us as we were growing up, have I ever given you my word and not kept it? Have I ever made a promise to you and not kept it? He must have said that dozens of times to, to us growing up. And, you know, when I became more observant and I thought to myself, you know, I really, I, I believe in God. You know, okay, you can always improve your belief and everything like that. And that certainly goes for me too. But I, I, believe, I, I, I believe in God. I really do. I believe in the Torah. I really do. And it's like, I, I asked myself a question one time. Why do I believe so much? Right? And I thought to myself, it's because my father used to say that my father always kept his word. And I think I made a, 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 a logical connection in my brain, even though I didn't do it consciously, which is that if my father kept, keeps his word, how much more so does God keep his word? It has to be. It has to be. There's no, there's no way around it. So we've never given up on Mashiach. And, but now let me just make it more personal. You can't give up on yourself. And if there are treasured parts of yourself, right? And maybe they're missing right now because you know what? You got confused and you left this part of yourself and someone else kind of walked away with it a little bit. As long as you don't give up on that part of yourself, it's still yours. The guy may have gotten it into his house, right? It might be in his drawer. But you know what? If you haven't given up on that part of yourself, it still belongs to you. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. Speaking of my mom, toward the end of her life, she was sick, and I was traveling back and forth between Los Angeles and New York. And... Um, one time, I'm traveling toward the end of her life, and um, I brought my sitter with me. It was like a little, you know, like one of these little art scroll daily prayer books. It's easy to, uh, to, 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 to carry around. And uh, I had been praying out of this prayer book on a daily basis for years and years and years and years. So, you know, I mean, without getting too spiritual, you know, while you're davening so much and you're holding the same book for so many years... There's going to be a lot of your energy in that, you know, without getting too, kook, too kooky. I mean, I, I, I mean it, you know. So anyway, it was a, it was a red-eye flight, and I was tired, and I left the, the sitter in the uh, pouch in front of me in the airplane. And so I lost it. And, and, and I remember thinking to myself afterwards, you know what, there's so much of me in that book, it's not lost. Okay? So, cut to one year later. Okay, that was on a flight. I left it on a flight that landed in New York. 
Okay, I live in Los Angeles. It was left in New York. One year later, I'm at, uh, it's Friday night, I go to Davin, actually it was across the street, and, um, you know, just Friday night, I'm Davening, someone comes up to me and says, did you leave a, uh, a prayer book on, a, uh, on an airplane? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he says, yeah, I have it in my house. <laughs> he said, we've been meaning to give it back to you. My wife found it. He said, wait here. And then he came back like 10 minutes later and he handed it to me. I remember we had Matas Yahu, the, the singer, over for dinner that night. And I remember holding up the prayer book and I remember him just going, wow, you know. Um, you know, there was a piece of me in that thing. And I knew that it, it can't be gone. Didn't make sense that it should be gone. Um, so, but, but how do you get it back? How do you get it back if, you, if you've left a, a piece of yourself somewhere because you kind of got confused or whatever? And you left a piece of yourself, a place somewhere and someone took it. Someone maybe took it home, right? How do you get it back? And the answer is by counting the years. The answer is by counting the years. If you, if you look ahead and you see what's going to be in five years, what's going to be in ten years, what's going to be in fifteen years, what's going to be with my children, what's going to be with my grandchildren, right? And then you're going to make the right decisions and you're going to restore yourself back to yourself. Okay, have a good one.